black ball. Black 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 ball. What's up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. I really enjoy my next guest. I, I like listening to him talk because if you're like me, you like to peek behind the curtain sometimes. If you're like me, you like to peek behind the curtain all the time. Um, and this man has a job that uh, I think a lot of people would probably be envious of, uh, I think. Uh, but I also think what he's going to share with us is that a lot of people have no fucking idea what they're getting into when they do a job like this. And um, we are going to talk about that job and a lot more. And I'm just going to welcome to the show, Brent Donnelly from the Brent on Tour podcast and the Kids on the Escalator podcast. How are you, buddy? Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. Sorry. No problem. For the frantic change in schedule. But I, I love as it. it goes. I love it. You're, you're <laughs> on tour literally in an airport. You're like the Tom Hanks of like touring managers. Yeah. Not living here yet. But uh, I don't know if I could live in the Montreal airport. It's it's kind of spread out. There's not really a lot of places to hang out. So, but the pornography is within arm's reach. They don't put it up on high shelves in Montreal. It's not like Amsterdam advertising like, but I'm sure it's 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 prominent. I had a really just as an aside a really weird experience with probably a criminal um, when I was like ten. <laughs> My parents let me go to the store in Montreal. I was born in Montreal, and um, we used to go there all the time. And they let me walk to the store at 10. And I was walking. I was looking for like big league shoe, I think. And there was a man standing at the uh, at the magazine rack. And and I looked up and I saw Playboy at eye height. And I was like four foot ten. And he just handed it to me. This fucking old man. Hands Here a 10-year-old boy, right. you know. But anyways, big up Montreal. You got a lot of pedos in the area, I think. But what are you going to do? <laughs> I think um, so, yeah. I... <clears throat> The the sober part um, of your you you did a series on the Brenton on tour just started podcast. yeah I just I just started um, basically a ten part series within my show like I, I do you know my mine generally covers coffee and travel uh, music life you know and so and variations of of those in some capacity I've I've had a you know have you made it like a making it series I've had a best coffee from around the world all just kind of stuff that incorporates the people that I know into the show or like you know that do what i do or whatever yeah so um thank you look at wow. um, so tell her to say hi next time she comes by I might we always like to meet this getting a montreal smoking anyways my profile at the airport at the airport um <laughs> yeah. so then what happened was is i um you know, i've been been sober three and a half years now and I just thought it was something that um there's a lot of guys in our business that have chosen and girls women everybody that have chosen to sober in this world or um, are working towards it or whatever. And so definitely at this whole COVID thing, um, I, I've noticed it more than ever and I've seen that community. And so I thought I would do a little feature on it and bring some people in that would want to talk about it. So. 
Have you found that, um, because I I, I did uh, not a similar job, but um, I used to throw raves and manage electronic music DJs in like the early 2000s. I don't think I had a sober night ever when I was doing that shit. That is a little bit different because, you know, working for myself and ecstasy and the rave scene like literally people would sign contracts and we'd all be mashed out on mdma right like that that's the sort of way the culture was um i can easily come up with a stereotype of what it must be like to be part of the touring crew um with alcohol and drugs but uh, is it is it something oh that's just the industry or or is it not as common as we think when, when it comes you know, to the touring crew it's an interesting one because um i can't speak to I've honestly not seen a lot of access here, if I'm going to be honest. In 20 years that I've been doing it, uh, despite what you read and people smashing hotels and all the rest of it, a lot of that stuff is done behind closed doors. So you'll maybe hear of somebody that had a problem and you'll be like, whoa, I didn't know that. Or you'll hear from somebody that you know got clean and you didn't know. Um, so it's not as like, oh, there's the room, there's the Coke room and there's this room. It doesn't it's just a cleaner environment on tour right now it just is overall like i mean there's and i touch on it in this which is there's way more options for health there's way more options to keep fit the ways way more options to keep your mental health up there's way more support it's not as stigmatized where people go oh you know like oh you quit drinking or whatever you loser like it's just not like that there's a group of people that will that are that are with you on that journey so um sex drugs rock and roll sure it exists, but um, I got to tell you, man, it's maybe I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm 20 years in, but maybe I came in for 20 plus years in. Maybe I came in after it, but I just don't see it as much now. Yeah, I mean, sex, drugs, and rock and roll doesn't include alcohol, so you're safe, right? <laughs> did you were, now listen? I know a lot of people uh, um, did the AA thing or the NA thing. Um, when I quit, I, I just I just did it myself because I had tried AA in the past and it just wasn't for me, right? And I know it works for a lot of people, um, yeah. but it wasn't for me. But when you went on your sobriety kick, were you like um, doing anything else? And did you quit those as well? Or no, I was strictly just just drinks and 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 it was really a, a scenario of just um, pattern. So I think we touched on it before. Like I, you know, you do a sixteen hour day. And then you jump on the tour bus and it's, you know, have a beer, have a wine, have a, have a whiskey, whatever it is. And then you do that every day. You just do it every day. And, and not just my industry, construction guys, plumbers, you know, you, like whatever it is, uh, uh, Wall Street guys, pattern. So you get in the pattern of having a stressful day, you have a couple of drinks. And so for me, that was just the pattern. It's just this pattern of like, man, like every single day, I'm just, I'm having a drink and. I'm not getting wasted or it might have a double or two, but I'm not really getting fall down drunk or anything like that. And, uh, but I just noticed, I was like, I did the math on the numbers and I was like, geez, I think I did a thousand drinks in 2018. People are like, you're, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, no, that's like only two drinks a day plus a little bit more. Yeah. You're right at the line of being considered a clinical alcoholic. If you, I think it's 15 to 18 drinks a week. I heard it's, Three drinks a week is what you're supposed to. It's your, the minimum. Three drinks is what you're, what you should only be consuming. It's sort of like two to three a week. Yeah, and a health, and from a healthy standpoint. 
So that was an interesting stat. <laughs> well, sure. But it was, I did, I did the math. And so was, I, I, I have this theory, I have this fun thing about that we're born with 5,000 drinks and we can choose to use them how we want. So you, you know, you can use them. That's, that's two drinks. A, that's two drinks a week for 25 years or so. I don't know what the math is. I did it before. It's like two drinks a week for a certain amount of time. Yeah. That's just a nice number. And I used a thousand of them in 2018 casually. So I'm like, can I do another thousand in 2019 and so forth and so forth? It just, it does, it doesn't, what I do for a living, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work to be doing 16 hour days and four hours sleep and then doing it all again the next day. It doesn't work. Well, it's, it's funny because, um, I'm doing the math in my head and Jesus Christ, I don't know what a 40 ounceer of vodka and four bottles of wine a week is, but I'm sure it's more than 15 drinks. Um, I don't know. If you I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to point out for the record, James. One second. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the restaurant here got my rock. And then she brought me this. So I'm rocking oh. the two cup thing. Look at this. Oh, I know? thought she bought you. Brought you the mug itself, and then you can no, just pour she it in. Me a mug full of coffee, and I have oh. coffee. So, anyway, go oh. ahead. Sorry. Well, that's service. Um, yeah. No, I was going to say like. I, I, uh, one thing I noticed, um, and it's good actually that you c- came at this from a place where you weren't drinking as heavily as, as myself, because um, maybe you did notice that you became more productive because what I noticed when I stopped drinking is that I literally went from like, why am I not making it anywhere to like, like I was laser focused and I've been in work mode in two and a half years. Well, Bradley Cooper said it best. He, he, he quit because he said he wasn't he felt like drinking was going to hold him back from reaching his full potential. And you don't really realize that until you stop. You're just not as um, foggy is not the word I'm looking for. Cause again, I, I, I didn't like drink nine drinks a night and it was waking up to it with vodka and going to sleep with wine. Like it just, it was just this, this pattern of just every day having one or two, or maybe three days off, maybe four. But that I, what was happening is, is that you, you, uh, you're just a little, you're always constantly just a little foggy or you're just a little bit whatever. And so I, I found that I, I'm much more in the moment just in life without it. My days aren't controlled around it. Like it's like day off in Dublin. Okay. Well, we got to go here first before we do anything. We got to go, whatever we do has to end at the top. Whatever we do has to end at the Jameson plan. That just make me up anymore. Just from a time management perspective, you know, because everything that like um, orbits around drinking, yeah, takes up time. Like time. the whole like, where are we going to meet? Oh, let's go meet here, and then we're going to spend more money because we're drinking in public instead of drinking at our hotel room, and we're gonna, you know, we're 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 gonna socialize and we're gonna laugh our asses off. We're gonna, you know, stop keeping track of time, and then next thing you know, we've just burned four hours with orbiting well, like with drinking as that centerpiece i i know what that's like um, every single day with the same people with the same stories yeah it's like, like the it's connecting just, uh, it's tissue it's the connecting tissue and the way that uh co-workers socialize it's well, like even last night for... even yeah. last night last show of the tour and uh you know people coming in all right we're gonna go here for a drink we're gonna go for here and um and it's it's like i understand that like at 11 o'clock or midnight you know, there's nothing you can't necessarily go to a place to have a club soda and lime. That's not a bar. Sure, you can. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. Do you, I, I, do you I, go I, out I was, and just not drink? Because yeah, I, yeah. I went out actually. Yeah. I went out last night with with the team just to say hi and whatever. And I had a, a couple of colleagues and um, and someone's like, 
do you want to try the, the Corona non-alcoholic beer? And I'm like, I didn't know they made them. So sure, I'll try one. And it was fun. Like, I don't, I don't get caught in the, um, oh, people are going to look at me weird thing. I mean, maybe that's your first kind of five weeks or six weeks of this. If your circle is used to you drinking and all of a sudden you switch to like club soda and lime and people are like, you know, does it make me less fun? I don't know. You'd have yeah no and that's a fair point because um also if you're an asshole like i'm an asshole um a little bit so um when i go when i went out when i stopped drinking um the couple times people would be like you know oh what are you not gonna have a drink to fury and i'm like no because you're gonna get drunk and i'm slowly gonna get better looking and you're slowly gonna get sloppy and gross so it works out for me fine right <laughs> like it didn't it wasn't I never really got bothered by the peer pressure part of drinking, you know? Yeah, it's, it's in our business, it's definitely, a, you know, when a tour comes together for the first time, when you're you're putting 100 people together for the first time, and it's like the, the whole thing is let's go to the pub or everyone's like, that's how people connect is over drinking. Every industry, not just mine, every industry, that, that's how people connect. Let's go for the pub, what is he drinks, let's do that. Um, it's just the universal language of connection. So... The most difficult part for a lot of people, which I think why they bail out on the journey, is because that they can't shake that that association of connection. So for me, it's always been like I have to remove it as from a good time, and I have to remove it as something that I require or you know that that I need to have a good time. Once you start this association, that it's easier. Yeah, and you know what, sponsors um, don't help, especially sponsors that uh, alcohol sponsors in industries like yours. I have a clip here from when you had Dean on the show, so I'm just gonna play that out. Yeah, sure. The goals that you set out as a drinking, you're like, oh yeah, oh my god, I'm great friends with the Jameson people. I've I've made it. Speaking of making mm -hmm. it, <laughs> I've made yeah. it as a I've made it as a drinker. Now Jameson wants to send me a care package. That's how far I've made it. <laughs> so Dude, Jameson used to send me bottles of booze with my name on them. Right. Like I've got you one know, upstairs. Like, I should have brought it down yeah. here. So I've got I have several. That was a big moment for me. I came back holding that like the Stanley Cup. It was just well, funny. but but you know what it is yeah. is like it's it's fascinating the change that occurs in individuals who go from like not imagining their life without alcohol because they truly do need it. And listen, it works. Like fuck, the reason why we drank for as long as we did and enjoyed it to the extent what we did is because it fucking works. Like. Yeah. If you've ever been drunk before, you know what I'm talking about. But there's yeah. 35 minutes of fun in there. I boiled it down. 35 to 39 minutes of fun. Because the chemical reaction when you get drunk literally lasts for 35 minutes. And the way that I drank is the way I drink everything. Coffee, water. It's like boom, boom, boom. You keep going. So that 35 minutes, it's gone. And I'm on my way to blackout before I know it. Right? Like that was, if you boil down the experience, that's what it is. However, to your point, we are constantly under the cast mental concept that if we don't, if someone takes something away from us, no matter what it is, it's wrong. It's an, it's an unjust wrong thing that happened to us. And we, and it's like unfair that, and then you, you look at yourself. Cause when I quit drinking, I looked at myself legitimately for a year, mm -hmm. like you fucking loser. <laughs> Like I'm going to meetings. Everybody's telling me I'm not. I'm like, you're a fucking loser. Aren't you? Look at you. Look at you've done. You've drank so much. You can't drink anymore. And even if you could drink, it just turns you into an asshole and you want it so bad because you know that it makes you feel good and you can't have it. Look what you can't have. That's an interesting point. Well, 
it's what everybody goes through when they first quit drinking if they drink too much. I, it's you get that everybody. that that you, you feel bad that you failed at drinking. Yeah, <laughs> you fucking failed. You failed you life. Know. You failed everyone around you. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. You fail the drinking. <laughs> well, that's the that's the feeling. That, hey, number one, thanks for watching. Appreciate oh no, it. Thank no you. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, you you think that things you fail and like, like you try to get that job, you don't get it. You you uh, your grades at school are shit, so you don't get into a college, and you feel like you failed. All the things that we we think that we're good at, you know, are we good at drinking? Yeah, I can have four drinks, and cruise along, and whatever. But then when it gets to the point where you recognize that that maybe you shouldn't do it anymore, then there's something else that you failed at. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? Like um, the way that Dean was describing that year where he was taking a look at himself, that's like every cocaine hangover I've ever had. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know if that you have any experience with that. But no, it, it, I don't. It, I was never a drug. I was never a drug guy. So for me, it's it's all been it's all been uh, just it's just out, like alcohol, just drinking. Yeah, well, it's an awful, awful um, feeling because yeah. you it, it 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 attacks you, it attacks you in the same way like the shame centers that you might feel like you drink like a bottle of vodka and you wake up the next day feeling like shit. You have there's sort of, some sort of shame attached to that. Times that by like a thousand because it attacks your dopamine and and you, it's it's depleted and it's trying to get back and as it's trying to rejuvenate. You're sitting there going, why am I so fucking worthless? Why did I snort a half an eight ball last night? What the fuck is wrong with me? And you right. stay in that mode until you go out that night. And then you and then have another like, drink. And then you're right. having a bump. And then you're like hitting on the waitress. And then, you know. And it's, yeah. So it's it, it's a weird feeling. Okay, cool. So we got the sobriety thing. Um, uh, we talked a li- uh, off air a little bit. I wanted to ask you questions about some of the artists that you've... Um, that you've toured with and you correctly um, just made me clear that you don't necessarily have swinging from the chandelier stories, but I'm really interested in the humanity part of famous people. And um, you just mentioned that you happened, and I'm not sure if this even falls in that category that you, I think you did Prince's last couple 
uh, shows in Canada. I in Vancouver. If I, can think, in Van, in, I think Vancouver. I don't think he did Toronto after that, but I think okay, they could have been Canada, but definitely Vancouver because then he fair enough. Um, so that. Vancouver. Uh, either way, uh, you know, um, he's one of those artists where, um, like, I, I I can't stand '80s music um, except for things like Prince and Depeche Mode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those are the only things. But I could never get a read on what he was like. Um, I just wonder if you had any insight there, like well, I mean, you know. So that that thing, that, well, the funny thing is, is like a year prior to that, I was asked if I would go down and run an arena show for him in in California, and I was like, whoa, okay. And the you know the the stories are legendary. Sorry, the, the stories are legendary as far as like what you know what he needs or what he requires, etc. So that didn't happen. It was kind of choked, and then I got a call to do this show he shows at the folk theater in Vancouver. So basically Prince at that time was renting these rooms and doing interviews on the motor and renting the rooms. He had an all girl band from Toronto and he typically went out and just did four shows over two days. Uh and you know pulled in a whole bunch of money and and I went through before we even started the first show, there was three production managers that had come gone. These are the people I call. What are you doing? What do you need from me? How's it going to go? Hey, we're loading in at this time. We're going to, you know, this is the set time. We need this for the stage. He needs this for his room. They changed that person. So the person that actually I got on show day was not somebody I'd actually advanced or did the show any discussions with. So he shows up and goes, this is wrong, this is wrong, or this is right, or this is the wrong thing. And it was that it started like that. So I'm like, okay, here we go. And then when Prince actually came on on, on on scene, it was more of like a closed set list, so you or closed uh, room, so you couldn't be there for the sound check. Um, but I was allowed in, so that was kind of cool. And I just remember after that second show, he came, he was downstairs in the dressing room area with the girls, and I'm sitting in my production office, and he comes in, and he peeks around the corner, and, and kind of like this, kind of does, like, you know, I'm sitting there, and he kind of does this like peek around the corner right? i'll see if i can get the get the whatever yeah. so then it, he, he says he kind of leans in and he goes how is that wow what are you asking me for i'm like amazing should i play more hits what what, what are you asking me i'm like uh what do you say to that what i'm like trick question? uh i'm like i mean i'm sure the audience would love it but you do you it was kind of this weird thing and he's like maybe i'll play a hit and then he walked away and i'm like okay, whatever. and then he levitates so, away yeah and so then it turns into this like kind of thing oh, it's gonna get busy here that's what happens yeah. at the bar um yeah. so then it turns into this thing where he where he basically says um uh what did he say to me? so that was it. He does the show. He plays Purple Rain uh, on the last show, on the last song, kind of like in this weird. He played Let's Go Crazy. He opened up with this heavy version of Let's Go Crazy, which he played on that live. You guys can check that out. Yeah. Um, but then we're we're loading out, and everything's in the, in the, the black SUVs in the back alley. And I'm standing there just watching things go. And this window rolls down, and it's him. And this hand peeks out, and he shakes my hand. And he's like, I had a wonderful time. Thank you very much. And then the hand goes back in and the window goes up. 
and the, and the car and flies leaves, away. And, and the car flies away, yeah. And the production manager comes out and he goes, Did you did you talk to him? Like kind of like I'm an asshole for doing it. And I was like, he talk fucking talked to me, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a really cool moment. And um, you know, just just to share that when so many people I love, love, that. love him and, and uh, he was just I didn't get the I didn't get that sort of like combative guy. I got a, I got a, I got the second well, coming. That's of what, second coming of Hendrix. That, I got. Man. Yeah, that's what I love about it. it it's is because, um, you know, he's got a brand out there that that he's one of those. He was one of those artists where you would not be surprised if his writer said, "Make sure you don't look Prince in the eye," right? Like you know, it's, and then you're. But oh, I don't have a problem with that. Really? I don't have a problem with that. And this is this is why. Okay. okay. Once you okay. put yourself into a situation All right. where you write, you blown up, you become, you know, black ball book is got number one. It's number one. And everywhere you go, people are looking at you. So on the street, people are looking at you. In a restaurant, people are looking at you. It's a, it's a whole thing. But at the venue, okay, this is your home away from home. People don't understand. When we do shows, all of us, my office, my production office, we spend more time in venues than we do at our houses, in hotels. Oh, These are our home away from home. So if your market that's coming in is in the zone, trying to be in the zone of being a performer, being nice is nice. That's fine. I understand that. But if every single person you meet on a show day, which could be upwards of 200 to 300 people, to meet you, shake your hand in the eye, and just stare at you like this as you walk past. It's just this weird thing that, that mentally, I would imagine you just, James, everywhere you went, someone just was like, so good right now. following you and making you uncomfortable. If you put that rule in, then people just don't, and you just have to stay. Then it allows the artist to, to actually just come up to somebody and support for the day and be like, how are you? Something like they grow or something like you know whatever it, it, but it, it, when you uh, I, don't, I don't think about it for I, I think that there's a certain level of like fame and a certain level of that, that people have yeah um, I, I think I see I, it as a as like one of those decisions that really famous people make where you can oh he's uh you know his 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 self image is is as high or higher than the public's image of himself because that's i couldn't imagine dave Grohl doing that no but uh, but i'm saying i don't disagree with an artist that does it because i think the artist um, is just trying to be comfortable during the day and meeting you listen man when i go on a tour if i do three tours a year i meet 300 people a year i don't know if you can hear that uh, yeah I, I, can, I can hear it but you're getting a little fady because when i when i go on tour i meet I I'm not sure if you're attached to that mic or not, because that doesn't increase the volume. Just to let you know. Interesting. But just keep going. Keep going. Let me just uh, I'll just wait for this gate announcement to go away. This is the reality. Um, so anyways, I, the thing is, is that um, I don't have a problem with it, because if whatever makes them comfortable and makes our day better is fine by me. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because our days are long enough, and if we've got a temperamental artist that is pissed off, it can make everyone terrible. Fair enough. 
I, and you know what? The I've I've met a lot of famous people, um, and I can count on one hand the ones that were really awful. Anyways, because I think um, I think famous people are looking for human connection that has nothing to do with what they do for a living. And you I know? agree with that. And, and as I said to you, when I go on tour, I meet you know every if I do one tour a year, it's the same hundred people. But if I do three different artists, I'm meeting three hundred people a year. Thanks. Yeah, that's a lot of because I have to know what everyone's doing in every aspect of their job just to make it more efficient for everybody. Like I, I need to try to. I, it's tough to learn everyone's job. Am I best friends with everybody? No, but I need. To, that's the head lighting. That's head audio. That's the carpenter. That's this. That's it. So if there's an issue on tour that you know they have a concern about something, it's it's generally solved by the production manager. But if it can't be solved by the production manager, it makes it to my desk. And I, I need them to be able to be like, hey, Brent, you know, this is what we're kind of experiencing. And um, so, you know, I meet, you know, 300 to 400 people a year. Imagine what an artist does. Oh. Right? Yeah. Now, I give them a little bit. I give them a little bit of rope on the side. You know what I mean? um, have you ever had a situation where you were able to see um, an artist, not at their worst, but like, like I, I have a story oh, about no, another I, friend of mine oh, who um, who was a PR person, and I won't say who the celebrity was, but the celebrity was literally in crisis. They were upset, they were crying, and this person had to sort of calm them down. You don't have to mention the artist. I'm not looking for the tabloid angle, but I'm just wondering if you ever had to take on that role, because I know that you wear so many hats when you're on tour, and sometimes you got to wear hats you don't normally wear, talking well, anyone off a ledge, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, it doesn't generally make it to me on the artist level. That's handled within. Um, but I have done some hip hop tours. I've had to go to the artist to be like, absolutely. That girl's fifteen. That kind of thing. No, it's 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 more just attitude. It's more like, well, I mean, I can't say I haven't witnessed some debauchery. What I'm saying is, it's it's there's there's a certain amount of like respect, and I've said and all along, it's like people make mistakes, they do what they've got to do. People are just plain assholes, but when you do it with malice, that changes the game. And so for me, um, you know, I've I've been out on some stuff that that was like that's unacceptable, and it's just attitude wise, like the way you're treating people out here, the way that. And, and that, you know, that I handle at a certain level, like the production manager say, whatever uh, goes up from there. So I've had a, a handful of those, but generally speaking, everyone's been great. I mean, almost yeah. everything I've ever toured with has been awesome. Um, you know, I have you, temperamental musicians and stuff. So. Yeah. Um, dude, if I left it open-ended and you can just tell me, like, your, your, your most awesome or crazy story, what would that be? I don't care what what genre it is. I don't care if it's good or bad. Crazy story. Depends on what it is. I mean, just good, happy, sad, awful. Doesn't matter to me. I'm just trying to. From a career, from a career, career standpoint, you know, setting to do and then doing it. That was a big thing for me. So that I know that's not very glamorous for any of the listeners here or the water is like oh great you did really but for somebody that's if somebody aims to make the nhl and they actually play a game in the nhl thank you so much if they taste it right and so for me that was like 
that was a moment doing Pearl Jam in, in, in Toronto in my hometown after I lived in Vancouver, but then I ended up coming home and doing Pearl Jam in Toronto. Neil Young beside me, Woody Harrelson. I'm like, I, you know, I was at the time going, you know, I got a, I got a two really dressing room with my. Why my don't cousin. I smoke weed? <laughs> yeah, it was saying. it was this whole thing, and and then just to have that be like, you know, looking around and, and having that moment of like of like you know. Uh, you know, I'm doing this for a living. It was a, it was a, and it was an amazing feeling. Um, I've had a couple of artists that you know I've become close with um, over the years through this, which doesn't happen because I don't get a lot of interaction with the artists sometimes. And then I've met some people outside of the business that have become great friends because of what I do. So, you know, there's, you know, it, it's just a, it's a cool kind of business to be in. Um, I, when I think of of the stories of like it's just show stuff you know it's it's yeah. show stuff i don't have any like um i have to rack my brain a little bit i said oh, I, I, tell, I i told the story the other on on the initial silver on tour cast about taylor hawkins from the Foo fighters and you can tell that story me. again because i love yeah. that story yeah. so we we were in um i was in um uh germany and we were on a day off and I was wearing a shirt, like a heart, like the rock band hearts. I was wearing that shirt. And I'm at the front desk and I hear behind me, I hear heart fucking rules, man. And I was like, what? Turn around and it's Taylor from the Foo Fighters. And I was like, what are you doing here? I think we were in Cologne, Germany. What are you doing here? And they were on a, they were on a stopover between festival that they did and then the festival in sweden where dave fell off the stage they were in between and so he proceeded to you know spend some time talking to me about his love of heart and sass jordan and alanis and, and all this stuff because he spent so much time in canada and hearts often mistaken as a canadian band but they're actually you know they might have broke up here but they're from seattle so we just had this amazing chat and he put me in a box you know that was like just him and i for those 45 minutes and he was asking me about my career and he was asking me about you know my favorite canadian bands and he went on he went on about his favorite canadian bands sloan and, and you know all that kind of stuff and it was just a really cool thing and kids and here's the thing that he liked about the humanity part kids were coming people were coming up asking for a draft and he politely told them to wait for just a minute because he gave me my moment in time That's and then skill. he and then he was like hey you live in vancouver we're coming to um, I'm terrible, blah, 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 but make sure you tell your team, because, you know, he knew who I most stuff, yeah. so he's like, make sure you do your team, you want to come down to the show, and I'll get you, you know, a tour of the kid or whatever, and make sure you refer to yourself as a heart shirt guy, right? That's heart so shirt, awesome. heart, heart shirt guy, because you can't really forget that, right? Yeah. Like it's it's like heart heart it's a shirt guy. Oh yeah, he's the guy from Germany, whatever it was. But he gave me he put me in that box in that moment. And that was amazing. Yeah, no, way too young. Um and, and unfortunately not sober on tour. Um, you know, and I you know, hopefully his family is Jury, trying jury's to find out. Jury's out. I, I don't you know, I, I I don't. I don't. I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, 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 no, I, I, I hate going I down that. I shouldn't assume like that, but you know. Like, sure. I mean, there's, yeah. there's the news, and then there's, then there's what it is. So, who knows? Um, but I, but the reason why I like stories that much, uh, like that, so much is because first of all, the people that I've met that embody that 
are are a funny mix of people. Um, Bill Clinton was like that when I met him. Mm-hmm. He he was like, uh, I I met him. I, I was part of a press scrum in Saskatchewan, and I was working on a small paper in my twenties, and um, I I. I secured a press pass when I had no business securing one, and uh, my boss wasn't going to let me go, so I quit my job and went. <laughs> and uh, and you know, I asked him the question, and he he answered it. And then afterwards, he walks up to me, and I'm just sort of standing there, and and I turn around, and he's right there, and he's like, "I need to let you know something." And he starts telling me that like he's like that question that you asked was like the, and then his assistant came up, and he's just like. He just put his finger up like this, and he's like, "And I want you to like dive into that question and ask as many of your leaders here in Canada the same question." The question was like, "How do you balance environmental sensibilities with economic realities?" And he was like, "You know, it's it may seem like a simplistic question to a lot of people, but when they start unpacking it, they'll realize that it's a lot more complex." Than you think. Anyways, he gave me like five minutes, like five minutes in Clintonian times. <laughs> Seems like a long time. Which handshake did you get from him? Because he's got the three levels of handshake. You know, the I didn't handshake. We didn't shake hands. Even when he left, he just he. Gave, oh, you know what? He gave me a pat on the shoulder. He's like, he's like, and then and then one of those little squeezes, and then he left. Right. But um, and then KRS One, KRS One. This I I was at a concert in not a concert, a show in uh, Pepper Jacks in Hamilton. It doesn't exist anymore. And um, and I saw KRS One there. I literally like got my six beers. And stood in front of the stage like this with my shoulders out so that no one would be able to like whatever watch the show when he said he was doing his last encore I left and I was like where's the SUVs where's the SUV oh there it is there's the SUVs and I just sat beside the SUVs because I wanted to spit 16 bars with my hip-hop hero I wanted to rhyme for the guy and I you know that's always a weird thing so um, this dude walks over he's like He's like, hey, man, can I help you? And I'm like, I'm just here to see if Karis one will let me spit 16 bars for him. And he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Here's a, yo, yo, Chris. <laughs> he calls him over, and he's like, this guy wants to spit some bars for him. He's like, oh, word. And he walks up, and he's just like, let's hear it, brother. And I, and I spat, and we went back and forth for like five minutes, and it was fucking amazing. And, like, he was just generous with his time. I don't know what it is. Like, we feel so, like, enamored by people who just share five minutes but when it's certain people it feels like everything you know well if it's something that you're passionate about especially like if it, if it be a baseball player giving a kid a baseball at a game but also playing catch with them for five see minutes that? that's yeah i've seen that it's great but yeah, and then you know, the next day when he met him and he cried again and, and i admit my first thought was you know there's no crying in baseball like i don't know what this kid is doing but someone's got to toughen this kid up. No, you know what though it's like people have whatever the people sorry this could be loud again doing these no please um, just but the uh people have their own version of of their heroes and sometimes they say you shouldn't meet them because they're they're dicks and all the rest of it and I, I understand that side of it but people have their own path and journey of, of where they're going and when however they whatever gets them there and if that that baseball moment changed the life of that kid um yeah amazing you know what i mean and, and, I, and I i love those stories. like you know on this tour that i just did um you know it, it's a lot of kids first concert so some of them you know some parents are it's they're spending all their money especially coming out of COVID. they're spending all their money to be in the top section so we, we like to move people around and move them down and there is no greater feeling man than taking a family um, a dad a son or a mom and a daughter or a family from the top raptors and 
I'm like, hey guys, come here, follow me, and put it in front row, and watching their faces explode. It's the Do you film that part. shit? No, that's for me. No, that's for you. Oh, that's great, man. Um, they but, and everybody in our business. I tell everybody in our business that has close contact with that. Like yeah. we need to take something for for ourselves because, uh, you know, I I do this for when the lights go out. When the lights go out and every single person in the arena is getting what they want at that moment, it's one of the only things in life where at, where twenty thousand people are gathered together getting exactly what they want at the exact moment. Totally. Maybe uh, maybe a, other than a Trump rally. That, yeah. Other than this, it's like let's say it's twenty thousand people, but that's that's the same as when the puck drops, when the first pitch is thrown. Everyone right. is in the moment together, getting exactly what they want at that moment, and um, that's why I do it. And if you can take a couple of families or people. You know these kids are like, we we our team. We mandate guys. You've got mandates. You've got to We if we have room, let's find some families. Let's move them. Let's change their life. And um, that's why you know Billy Joel does. He keeps the front row for himself, and he relocates people from the four hundred because he doesn't want simple and good idea. Okay? It, well, he doesn't want you know the the, the, the Wall Street guys that are going to be on their phone for his show. He wants the people that spent all their money in the 400 level to get upgraded to front row so he consistently looks out and sees them smiling mls he should do that so drake we don't have to look at drake every time we watch that um i want to tell you a quick story just because uh we're, we're sharing stories about famous people and uh this is one that was totally off the wall i went to my buddy's bar you know the duke of york i went to the duke in, of york in toronto like bedford and bluer just a little okay. bit north on been Prince, a while Prince been Bar. a while but Anyways, my buddy, uh, that's his bar, um, or at least, sorry, main bartender. And uh, I was at the, his bar, and I turn around, and I see a woman who was like the spitting image of Sally Field. So I sit in her booth. I literally just slide into her booth, and I'm like, how are you? She's like, I'm great. How are you? And I'm like, no, I'm not bad. And um, after 20 minutes, I'm like, are you Sally Field? And she's like, no. I'm not Sally Field, and I'm like, oh. And then we talked for another hour. I gave her my number. Remember, I was in, I was like 30. This woman was like 55, 60 years old, but she was to me like, a, I'm like, well, at the very least, I'll have a, you know, Sally Field doppelganger or whatever. And then, um, so we're talking and everything, and like, I'm trying to be charming. She's laughing at my jokes. Her friend is there. Like, it was a fun conversation, but it, it made me feel like a young puppy. <laughs> And then right at the end, she leans in, she kisses me on the cheek, and she goes, I'm Sally Field. And then she she winks, and she walks away, and I was like, what the fuck? And her assistant comes up to me, and she's like, I've never seen her so happy to meet someone that she rejected. <laughs> this is amazing. So it was like, I love the humanity part. You know, the, the, when, 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 when people that are bigger than life turn out to be human beings like the rest of us, it just makes me so happy. You know? And you got to respect those. Like, I've got a handful of numbers in my phone that... You know, yeah, I got some numbers on my phone of some people, and um, if they engage you, great. I, I, I you know, I'll, I'll send a, a hello or two if, if I see something. It's like, oh, that was cool, nice or something. Yeah. But if they if they give you the the uh, the access to them, you got to respect it. So in my people are like, oh, you're around rock stars all the time. I'm like, eh, you know what? Sure, but I I don't really necessarily meet them or all the time but there are things of byproducts of that that happen so there's like famous agents that all of a sudden have you on speed dial and that's kind of rad. and there's 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 the people like within my business and people i look up to mentor wise that you're like happy to have that guy or girl's number 
you know, who can, you know, I can uh, ask for advice if I need to on, on certain things. And then, you know, you, you do get a handful of people in there that, uh, you know, I guess would have a certain amount of notoriety. Yeah. Um, you, I, I'm not sure where you're heading next. Is there anything that you want to plug? Because we're gonna, we're gonna. I'm just I'm gonna jump on, on. I'm jumping on a plane. I'm heading home. I got a couple of weeks home, and then I go to Europe uh, with this thing again. And then um, I'm out for about three weeks this year. Uh, busy for me. Do you have kids? The rent. Yeah. That must be hard, eh? Yeah, I've been touring their whole life, though. So I sort of like, you know, it's when I was home with the COVID thing. They're like, what? It was great to I'm sorry, who are you? Home. <laughs> yeah. It was great to be home. Everyone was me at the time and, and our business will never get that kind of break ever again. But um it was also sort of like, when do you go back on tour again? Well it was funny. But I uh yeah. So uh I'm Brenton on tour podcast uh, weekly. Right now I got the Sober on Tour series happening. Uh Kids on the Escalator with uh, my co host Chris. Um we talk uh, Pop culture, comic book, movie, film, and um, uh, yeah, just fun. You know, being amazing to be a network and and meet people like yourself. And I got to tell you, dude, pretty stoked to watch you and Abby on a show the other day. Thanks for making that happen. You know, I've been pushing that. I've been pushing that yeah. agenda for a while. So yeah, you're the first person I thought of when I was like, who should I talk about with? Uh, 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 who should I talk abortion with? And then I was like, Abby, and I'm like, Brent is right. Yeah, so that's good. listen, um, Brent Donnelly. Um, uh, not a black Donnelly, but still uh, a, a good Donnelly. Um, okay. Thank you, man. I love having you on the network. I, I think that your your job is really interesting. Your podcasts are great, and um, yeah, we'll, we should cross paths a little bit more often. On maybe even Absolutely. have a have a, 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 a mineral water and lime or something when we see each other in Toronto. Or two coffees. Uh, yes, you know. Which, yeah, you know, oh, I, guess yeah, they got, right. I guess they got my rider when I came in. Yeah. Yeah. I like to double fist coffee. Okay, sir. Well, no, right, right. Don't look him in the eye. Okay, you got it. Um, Brent, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Have a safe flight home, brother. All the best, man. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk soon. No problem. That was Brent Donnelly. Um, I love that cat. He's a good guy. Um, <clears throat> the people in Montreal could not be ruder. My goodness. Come on. Can't you see that there is a man here trying to do a podcast in the middle of the airport? Um, I haven't received my confirmation email from him yet, but tomorrow on Blackball, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's coming. Um, I will have Rod Black on the show and I'm sure he's not watching this podcast right now. Um, nor do I think he'll watch it before tomorrow's show. So I got to run something by you guys. Maybe you can hit me up in the chat or, or possibly in a, in a DM or something. Is it me or does uh, the like Rod Black is like the best porn star name never used, isn't it? If it, it, it feels that way, but then I realized he's white, so his great porn name is wasted on him. No, I love him. He was like the voice. What did I say in the ad? Um, if sports announcing were a music, Rod Black would be. Th sorry, if sports announcing was a movie rod black would be the theme music and that's how i feel about that guy um big thanks to brent donnelly aka brent on tour brenton on tour um from the kids in the escalator podcast as well and um i'll see you later today at around four o'clock on the dean blundell show and i'll see you tomorrow when we have rod black uh thanks for watching black Ball, and we'll see you again soon
black ball. Black 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 ball. everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel Begins Friday, September 23rd. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.